Hello, welcome to Seniors and the People Who Love Them. I'm Cookie. I'm Pinky. And I'm Wendy. Today we bring you to episode number six of our podcast. Today we will be talking about healthcare decision making, or I would like to paraphrase the discussion to who is making the healthcare decisions. But first, our weekly disclaimer is that we are not physicians or lawyers. If you have a medical issue or a legal issue, please seek a practitioner or a lawyer to give you professional advice. Okay, now when we are making healthcare decisions, when we're making or discussing healthcare decision making in our industry, we are discussing very important decisions related to various medical treatments about healthcare. I want to point out that everyone has the right to make personal decisions about their health care within a certain age requirement. And by that, I mean, if you're below the age 18 or below, then you we have to defer to the guardian or the persons, the individual's parents. Now, healthcare decisions are done with a physician, and your physician can discuss certain treatments that would include certain risks and benefits. But what if you are no longer able to make certain healthcare decisions? Who is deciding for you? I know that in my experience as a nurse, for many years, we have had a situation when two or more siblings, adult children, or even a spouse have not agreed with each other when it came to certain treatment for loved one. I'm glad you mentioned that, Pinky, because tonight we will have an in-depth discussion regarding the healthcare decisions. And I'm sure that all of us have had some experience with family members, as you mentioned earlier, Pinky. Just keep in mind that when these decisions aren't made verbally or through written documentation, then there will be some issues, there will be some conflicts, there will be some problems. So let's first discuss what advanced planning is when it comes to healthcare decision making. The laws will vary from state to state. In Maryland, we have the Maryland's Healthcare Decision Act that became effective in 1993. This act applies for all healthcare settings and in the communities throughout Maryland. It specifically tries to help people who want to plan for medical situations when they might not be able to speak for themselves. There are two main components that come to mind when it comes to healthcare decisions. One is the advanced directive, and the other is the MOLST. MOLST stands for Medical Order for Life Sustaining Treatments. I know this is mainly your baby cookie, so take it away. Yes, Wendy, it is, and I will do my best because it is complicated for so many. So I'm going to try to make it as comprehensible as I can. So in my capacity as a social services director, social service worker, when a resident is admitted, I look look for two legal documents when a resident is admitted to a facility. One is the most, as some you have described, and the other is the advanced directive. Now, each of these documents is a guidance to you or the facility that one is admitted to. It's a guidance also for you, the patient, and the family member or loved one. There are two distinct differences, however. The most is a standard medical form that travels with the patient 
and is designed to carry out a patient's treatment wishes regarding their current medical condition. So what I would like to emphasize is that the most is the noun. It, it addresses what you want at that particular time. It is not an advanced directive, which is what we'll talk about in a little bit. The most form allows a patient a complete range of options for their health care. Some of these options may be related to what's called life-sustaining treatments, to the those that are limiting or refusing care. So generally, when you are a military facility or a healthcare setting, the social worker will meet with you and discuss the form. And if it's determined that you understand that you can make healthcare decisions, that you did this particular document in advance, or you may have done the document when you were hospitalized, then we pretty much make the determination that you can make those decisions for yourself. Now, in other places and other parts, of the country, the most is that's a Maryland, that's Maryland specific. Other places called this particular form the post, which is the physician's order for life sustaining treatments. So depending upon the state that you are residing in, it may be a good option to just research and see what form your state allows. Now, once it has been done, it is durable, meaning that it doesn't change unless you, the person, the individual, want to change the form. There are other factors, however, that may also influence what you want. As complicated as this may seem, we have to keep in mind that it's related to your disease process, whether you are at the end of life, and what your physician feels will be in your best interest. I kind of mentioned earlier, some of the treatment options include whether you want to be on a breathing machine or what's called a ventilator, whether you want to be fed through feeding tubes inserted into your body, and also whether it is something related to the medicine, something related to your pain relief. The other particular important document is what's called the advanced directive, which I will discuss now. So as I stated, the most is the now, but the advanced directive is the future. It's something that allows you to make healthcare decisions for yourself, but it also means you are able to make your healthcare decisions are made when you're no longer able to make them. And I will expound on the difference between the two. When you make an advanced directive, in Maryland, we have two parts to the advanced directive. It is called Advanced Directives Part A and Part B. Part A is when you are appointing someone as your healthcare agent. It could be anyone over the age of 18. It could be a spouse, a good friend. You are the person at the time that you make that advanced directive. You decide who you think you could entrust your healthcare decisions to, either when two physicians are saying that you're no longer capable or when that document is signed. Now, when the document is signed, and this can be Harry, you can still have the capacity, you may still have the capacity to make your healthcare decisions, but you still want whomever it is that you're appointed to weigh in. So we can't discount the fact that you can no longer make decisions for yourself. That has to be certified by two physicians. So if you get to the point, depending upon your medical condition, where you have some particular medical condition when you're no longer able to understand or comprehend and your health status could very well change, then the advanced directive part B kicks in as well as part A. So part A is you're appointing a healthcare agent and part B is what's called the living will part of it. The living will part of it generally has three qualifying conditions before perhaps the instructions go into effect. 
The living will often state that if I'm in a persistent vegetative state, if I'm in an end-stage condition, or if I'm in a terminal status, this is what I do or do not want. And I know we both have experienced situations in our facilities, guys, where the healthcare agent may say one thing and the living will says another. And so that doctor has to be very involved. Your physician has to be very involved. And we all have to collectively read the documents at the time. Sometimes the healthcare decision maker has the authority to make decisions, even sometimes then what's different in your living will. Sometimes the healthcare agent may be able to make decisions for you in your best interest, in spite of the fact that you may say, oh, I want to have a feeding tube. I want to have um, CPR regardless. But their status can be so complicated that something like CPR or something like being artificially fed may be not in your best interest. So these are the kinds of decisions that um, require a collectivity of the clinical team, inclusive of the healthcare agent, as well as the physician. Now, when there is no healthcare document done, where there is no advanced directive, where there is no inclusive of the living world and the power of attorney for healthcare, then the decision would have to go to what's known as the surrogates. The law sets priority among what is known as surrogate. And you can explain that thinking. So here is how the law works for surrogates as far as a priority. First, guardian of the person. Second, spouse or domestic partner. Third, adult children. Four, parents. Fifth, adult sibling. Sixth, friend and other relative. Cousin, niece, etc. Those that are in the same class. Let me ask you a question, Cookie. Uh-huh. What kind of advice would you give somebody who says, I just don't think my mom's able to make her own decisions anymore. I just don't think she's capable of doing that. What do you think the next step for that would be for someone? Well, we have to make a determination as to whether the person, whether it's a spouse or adult child or maybe just a friend, why are you arriving at that decision? And so everyone is evaluated in our types of facilities with memory assessments. So that would be one assessment. The other would be if there is some semblance of understanding and there's some conflict, we may go a little further and do a neurocognitive evaluation where we may have a psychotherapist evaluate the person to make that determination. But in order for that decision-making right to be taken away, then two physicians would have to certify that that person is not able to make healthcare decisions. And one, some of the reasons would be maybe they have had a cerebral vascular incident, meaning having a stroke. They could have the early or mid-stages of dementia. They could have other kinds of medical conditions that would allow them not to make decisions for themselves. I think it can be a really tough thing for people to go through. I know in the facility, what I see most often is that perhaps somebody's not capable of making those big healthcare decisions, but they certainly still want to. And they will say things like, well, I'm just going to go home and I'm just going to live by myself. And that's what I've always done, even though it's really not safe for them to do that anymore. And their families don't want them to go live at home. 
it can be really heartbreaking for families to go through that. I think families will need a lot of support from the medical team, from their own loved ones to go through that. Right. And particularly in the arena of life-sustaining treatments, that is really difficult because we know that according to the healthcare law, we have to be mindful of what that law states. So the law has some flexibility, but it also is very strict when it comes to when a person's right to make decisions is taken away. They have to either have a qualifying condition, meaning they either are in a persistent vegetative state, they have a terminal illness, they have an end-stage condition like an end-stage Alzheimer's disease where they're in their last stages of life. The physician has to make that determination and be guided by the healthcare law. Not anyone can come say, well, I know my mom said that she wouldn't want to be on a feeding tube. Okay, but what is the reason why? She could be able to continue. She could still be able to feed herself. She could still be able to make basic decisions about what she wants. These kind of decisions get to be really hard. Yeah. And also to add it that sometime in our experience that we some take professional help like psychiatrists to come in and determine that client is able to make a decision or not. Because sometimes families say, oh, my mom cannot make a decision, but mom is able to make a decision. Conflict between parents and children, we bring a professional person in to make that decision. Professional psychiatrists determine that yes, patient is able to make a decision. And we also need to remember, sometimes the patient make bad choices, but they are able to make the choices. They have right to make bad choice. It is That's not so me or physician to may say that, oh, that is wrong choice. If physician determine that patient is a capable to make a decision, maybe wrong choice for family, but it is right choice for client. And that's what we have to acknowledge. Client has right to make a choice, bad or good, either way. It's the thing that I find myself talking about the most in what I do in geriatric healthcare is that even though they may be making the wrong decision or the decision that you wouldn't make to a big extent, they still have to have the right to do that. My mom died from lung cancer. She continued to smoke. It wasn't my decision to make. Yeah. What's important is that the physician, when he or she evaluates the person and the person is in a a terminal status and the person says, I want everything. I want to be fed by a feeding tube. I want CPR. I want to go to the hospital whenever I need to go. If the physician feels as though the treatments would not be in the patient's best interest, then he or she can make those decisions as medical and effective. A physician does not have to go along with certain treatment options if he does not think it's in the best interest of the patient. He can certify certain treatments to be medically ineffective. Sometimes this goes all the way up to what we call the ethics committee, where it doesn't mean necessarily have to even be the patient, him or herself. It could be the family. The family could say, I want my mother to have everything. 
There's no advanced directive. So I'm the person that's going to say yay or nay. Physician may say the patient has an end of life disease. I don't think CPR would work for her. Do you understand the impact of CPR? Do you know what that means? And a family member could say, yes, I know what it means, but I still want her to have it. The physician does not have to go along with that. That's correct. There are cancer patients that are not eligible for chemo because the chemo has a greater chance of causing their early death than the chemo has a chance of curing them. And that that is the doctor's call. And you can get a second mm-hmm. opinion. There's lots of things you can do. But the doctor has to act in the best practices of the patient, even when the patient isn't or even when the family isn't. The doctor does have that right. Authority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it gets to the point in your particular healthcare setting, there is a legal recourse that the physicians have access to, then that patient may have to go to another facility or be transferred out to another facility if the physician is not in agreement with what the family is saying. I'll just add like on a little personal note, I have a brother who has never been mentally competent to take care of his own healthcare decisions because he has brain damage from cerebral palsy, which is, you know, something that happens at birth. He's always, even after he became an adult at 18, he's always had guardians to make his medical decisions. First, my mom and dad, and now me and my dad are his guardians. So we make his medical decisions for him. And if you are in that situation where you have somebody, guardianship is a great court-appointed guardian gives you really good control over that person's medical decisions. And I definitely recommend that. It's a little bit to go through because you do, it is a court proceeding, but I think that's a good thing. Wendy, I'm glad you mentioned guardianship because there may be times when the surrogates can't agree. Yes. I see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. In hospice, we get many situations where there may be six siblings And four of them agree that there's nothing left to do. Let's just make mom comfortable and put her in hospice. But two of them disagree. And without any advanced directive, without any power of attorney or anything written up, that person cannot come to hospice. And that's such a shame for some folks who would really benefit from it. I agree. We even had a situation where in terms of surrogates, they were all in the same class in terms of all being siblings, but one of the particular siblings, and there was a decision to make regarding whether or not we would withhold, withdraw all the life-sustaining treatments, the one sibling was in jail. So we had to actually do our due diligence, reach out to that particular sibling that was incarcerated to make sure that he agreed with the decisions of the other siblings. So it can be very hairy. It can be very complicated. Yes. As we've already stated, the big important issue is get it written down. Write it down, folks. Just write it down. My um, sister, I had a personal experience as well, Pinky, because I helped my sister, my older sister, do an advanced directive. And she also had the part B, which was the living will part. And she always was always clear that she did not want to be on a feeding tube. But at that time, the physician went along with the husband, even though there was that advanced directive. Mm. 
And it's not always just the siblings, you know, sometimes it's the physician because he felt so obligated to continue to help her. She was put on the feeding tube. Hmm. And that's where it ended for her. Because we are in the healthcare field ourselves, we too have some experiences that make us want to shout to the world, get it written down, and you can get it written down orally with a witness. I've done it when the healthcare agent would call in on the phone because she was out of town. We had to get something done right away for the patient or the resident. So it can be really complicated. So as you've just heard, if you do not plan, your family members and loved ones are left trying to make the best decisions regarding your health care. This can often lead to heartbreak, fractured relationships amongst family members. There's nothing that brings out family dynamics than death and dying. The laws vary between states as far as health care decision making. And if you're not sure, seek the advice of an attorney. In Maryland, the Attorney General's Office has worked closely with the Department of Health, the State Advisory Council on Quality Care at the End of Life, and the Maryland Institute for Emergency Medical Services Systems. People in general do not like to think or talk about death and dying. This is what I have come to know after a career of geriatric health care. When you're young and healthy, or even when you're middle-aged and healthy, you think that you have all the time in the world. But the truth is tomorrow is not promised. Talk to your loved ones today about what your wishes are. Put it in writing. Choose a particular day every year that means something to your family. New Year's Day, a birthday, the first day of summer, or maybe the day your loved one passed. That's something that your loved one would want you to do. Honor that day with discussing this most important topic with your family. Draw up your will, your advanced directives. Give this gift to your family. It's better than grandma's pearls, I promise. So let's take a break and we will be right back. Okay, welcome back. This is the part of our podcast where we will review any feedback or questions received and give you some resources if you need to continue your research. We are a very new podcast, but we have already received a bit of feedback and reviews, so thank you to everyone. You can contact us at seniors at seniorscast.com. I just wanted to give a shout out to my friend, Julie Lindemuth. I went to college with Julie and she's actually a music therapist and I would love to have her on this show. So we've already touched base a little bit about that. So hopefully she can come on the show and talk about her experience with being a music therapist with the elderly and maybe she can play us some music too. We would love that. But she wrote, so proud of my friend. Wendy Eppers and her team for starting the podcast, Seniors and the People Who Love Them. What a great resource if you're caring for aging parents. I'm only on episode two and can tell it's going to be chock full of practical and insightful ideas from three brilliant ladies with decades of experience in senior care. Thank you so much, Julie. So sweet. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. So we thought we would add a few medical terms and abbreviation and what they mean each week. Here are the few that we come across 
every day with a client or patient we call. First is PRN. What is PRN means? Because we always, nurses always you, you have a medication PRN. <laughs> PRN, what that means? Probably they don't know. PRNs when you need it. Example, I have a pain today. I want something for pain. Can I have some Tylenol? So there is order for Tylenol PRN. So when you need it, you can ask for it. You can receive it. It's not like you can get every day, three times a day or every day, whenever. Because you might have a headache today and not tomorrow. So whenever you have it, as you need it. Next one, common quite a bit. Oh, you have an order for digoxin or something like heart pill once a day. Once a day, that means usually in healthcare decision, first thing in the morning around eight o'clock, you get that. Sometimes the same medication say BID. What BID means? That means you can take it twice a day, like one in the morning, one in the evening. So those term BID means twice a day. Sometimes they use TID. TID again falls three times a day. You can call three times any time. Doesn't have to be like exactly certain hour. Because when sometimes the order say every 12 hour, when it say every 12 hour or every eight hour, that is very late term of saying time choosing. So example, if you take morning pit eight o'clock, the evening pill you need to take at 8 p.m. And that's called every 12 hour. So when we say BID, they have some flexibility, like you take one in the morning, one in the evening. Other thing we use every shift. Every shift, because sometimes when you work in hospital, they have a 12 hour shift. What that means, you are taking twice a day, 12 hour shift is a two shift. But usually every shift means three shift, like seven to three, three to 11, 11 to seven. And that's three shift. And that means you are taking that medication every shift, one on a seven to three shift, one on three to 11, third on 11 to seven. These are some are very common abbreviation we use on a daily basis. So when client or patient given medication, that's what nurses say. Okay, oh, you have a PRN order or your medication is BID or TID. So I give you some insight what that means. So that help you to make ask for that particular medication or the time of need. Thank you for sharing that, Pinky. And there are going to be other um, terminologies and acronyms um, that we will be sharing with you. Um, each episode, because I remember when I first started in the healthcare arena and I would be in these particular meetings and I would hear all of these acronyms, the terminologies and these abbreviations discussed by the clinical team. And I had no clue to what they mean. So I can only imagine how family members are feeling when they're at a meeting and these terms are, are, are thrown at them. So we just want to educate you on those and feel free to send some of your own terminologies or acronyms that, that you have in some time, some problems in understanding. Here are some of the resources that we found to assist you with healthcare decision maker. If you're in the state of Maryland, the Maryland Office of the Attorney General 
The National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, I use them all the time. They are our gold standard for hospice work. There's also Aging with Dignity. They have a 1-800 number, and we'll put this in the show notes. And they're also found at www.agingwithdignity.org. You can also get advanced directive forms written in languages other than English, and that would be from www.mccelc.org. And also Five Wishes is a kind of standardized national format that will get you started with advanced directives. It's something you and your family can look at together. I highly recommend. Okay, so we always try to end on an upbeat note, a positive note. I know that we have brought so many really complicated issues to you today, but we want you to think about them. We want you to really begin to do some advanced planning when it comes to not only your loved ones, but yourself. And so Pinky will end with her Pinky joke. Okay. Today's my joke is, how are stars like false teeth? How are stars like false teeth, Pinky? Well, guess what? I was asking you, Wendy, you have any answer to that? I do not. They both come out at night. (laughs) Okay, so that is our show for today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. Please subscribe to our upcoming episodes. We will be releasing new episodes every other Tuesday morning. If you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future topics, please visit our website, www.seniorscast.com. You can also email us at seniors at seniorscast.com. If you would like to help us get our young podcast off the ground, please give our podcast a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, I'm Pinky. Cookie. And I'm Wendy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.